0: So, Mark, Yes. what is the most memorable plane ride you've ever had? So, as someone that has spent so much of my life on planes and at airports, just way too much, they all do tend to blur together, but one that really stands out is when I just finished my sophomore year of high school, I flew back from Singapore to the U.S. by myself. And I was 16, so right at the cutoff where I should have been not treated like an unaccompanied minor, but for some reason the airline still treated me as an unaccompanied minor, and it was this weird, like, I'm getting special treatment. But also, they don't trust me to hold on to my passport, even though I am a 16-year-old.
1: But did they give you, like, a juice box or something?
0: I mean, I assume I got some sort of drink on a plane, but I was stuck with this, like, 10-year-old girl who kept trying to talk to me. She was so annoying. But we did get, like, escorted through security before all the lines.
1: But it's so important to be nice to her so that she can trip the terrorist later on.
0: (laughs) It is true. Apparently, you do have to make friends with children on planes, otherwise you will die. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think for me, the strangest plane experience I've had, I was probably like seven or eight and my family was going to Disney World and we flew from Baltimore to Orlando, but we had a layover in Miami and we fly into Miami and it's like dark night. I have no idea what it was probably like eight o'clock, but I was a kid and I was like, oh, it's so late and dark out. And we had to walk out on the tarmac and like climb stairs up to this tiny plane because it's Miami to Orlando, not a long flight. But that was super wild to me. And We got up on the plane, and it was this, like, tiny little plane. There was kind of a storm going on, too, so we're, like, flying through lightning in this tiny plane, and there was a man, maybe a row or two in front of us, who had somehow a full meal delivered to him on this probably, like, 45-minute flight. And the visceral thing that I remember is he had the meal delivered to him, put on the trade table, and then, like, he was a character in, like, an illustrated children's book. He took his knife and fork and held them in front of himself like he's in American Gothic and just sort of like vigorously thrust them forward before then digging into his
0: meal. I just have such an image of that, but imagine how much extra money he spent to get a meal on a plane that was only 45 minutes. I'm surprised they even had anything on board.
1: That man is just going through the world (laughs) as a person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is one of the most weirdly profound things you've said, <laughs> where every every person is going through the world as a person, and when you see their ridiculous things, you have to remember, they are continuing to be a person even after this moment. Right! It's baffling. Unless, of course, they are stabbed repeatedly, hit with a field hockey <laughs> stick, and shot twice. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> they might not be a person anymore.
1: Oh, man. Um, Tim, what about you? What's the weirdest flight? Yeah, my most memorable flight, I don't remember much about the actual flight itself, but all of the things leading up to getting on the flight are very memorable. So when I was studying abroad, uh, we were going from Athens to Istanbul. And side note, the Greeks still call it Constantinople. Oh, yes. Like in in the airline, in Greek, it's written Constantinople and then switches to English and it's Istanbul. So I was going on this weekend trip and our flight was really early at like five in the morning. So we were supposed to get on the bus to the airport at three and as a college kid, our plan was we were going to stay up rather than try to wake up. So we we tried that and I failed. Um, That involved some adult beverages and I had a few too many of those and ended up going to sleep anyways. And one of my roommates who wasn't going on the trip managed to wake me up and I had to get in a cab, which was very expensive to get to the airport. and. I arrived at the terminal and managed to make it onto my flight. But when I walked into the terminal, the entire group of people I knew cheered for me. So that was awesome. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. My like just catching a plane story was when I was in high school speech and debate. We were at our national championship in Omaha and our plane to come back to DC was delayed because of a storm in Texas. So the plane got to Omaha really late. And then we had a connecting flight in Detroit. And so we had to sprint the length of the Detroit airport, uh, which is just like one long thing. So we ran like a mile <laughs> to get to our plane, which was of course at the other end. And then we all got on and they had held that plane for like an hour, most of it with all the other passengers on board because there were so many of us. And I just always think about, Those people who sat on that plane for so long waiting to take off, and then they hear, like, yes, the other people are here. We're finally going to take off. And then, like, 30 teenagers walk on board. (laughs) I would have been so mad. I will say, I don't know if
0: you're a real American until you've, or American that travels frequently until you've sprinted through the Atlanta airport crying, because I know (laughs) a lot more than just me have done that (laughs) i don't think i've ever cried while doing it but i have sprinted through atlanta more than once yeah a lot of people have sprinted through atlanta but once you've hit the point where you're so exhausted and stressed that you eventually start crying as you're running that's one of those moments where you just have to stop and look at yourself Especially because when you're a six foot tall man, crying does not usually help you. <laughs> Nobody stops to like, n- yeah.
1: They just look at you and think you're going to continue through life as a
0: person. It's upsetting how many times I've cried in the Atlanta airport, I think. Oh, that place is hell. And I also love it because I know it like the back of my hand. I know exactly where the Chipotle and Chick-fil-A in Terminal D are.
1: That's a good meal right there. Those two together. Just put them in a blender and you're good to go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it also depends on if you're flying on a... Any day of the week or a Sunday. Right. Anyway, <laughs> we've talked almost as long as the movie we're about to cover, so let's get this episode started. <laughs> Welcome to We well, Love Well, maybe we
1: should keep talking for the length of the credits, too.
0: <laughs> Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm Gay.
1: And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast committed to examining the most important issue facing our world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? <laughs>
0: And are these people
1: actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation or a faked flirtation that immediately (laughs) dissipates. We will dig in and see what's there. This week, we are joined by my good friend Tim Hankins to talk about a movie suggested to us by a listener. And I don't normally use listener names, but Andres Garcia, I need to know what you were thinking when you recommended the 2005 Wes Craven airplane thriller, Red Eye, because this movie doesn't have romance. There's not even a
0: husband, a boyfriend, her dad is unmarried.
1: Yeah, they're divorced.
0: I'll give you this, Andres. It is slightly more romantic than Madagascar. (laughs) That is true. There is at least something to talk about here instead of trying to think of something and coming up with the scene where Alex the lion imagines the zebra as a piece of meat. There's something mildly (laughs) sexual to that scene. This movie, it was... So short and so fast paced. I liked it. That I I enjoyed enjoyed it. it. I remember I watched this a long time ago. I doubt when it like came out. Probably on TV. But probably on (laughs) TV at some point, which means I would have seen the extended version because they had to (laughs) add a time to this
1: movie to air it on television. This movie is kind of gloriously short. Like, there is no fat. It's just doing its job incredibly efficiently. But yes, Mark, you're correct. They had to do an extended version, not even for, like, FX, where they're, like, trying to pad out commercials. It was for ABC.
0: I also love how they have two of the big stars of prestige television of the moment in this movie. They have both Killian Murphy and Brian Cox.
1: Well, our two main stars of this movie, Killian Murphy and Rachel McAdams, like this is part of like a breakout year for them. Because for Killian Murphy, this is the same year as Batman Begins, and he was in a Neil Jordan movie where he played a transgender woman. And so like all of that together there are a lot of profiles of like Killian Murphy is here. And then Rachel McAdams, this is the year after Mean Girls and The Notebook. And this year, she had Wedding Crashers and The Family Stone on top of Red Eye. So, like, this is kind of a big announcement. And and I had heard that Killian Murphy wanted this role so badly that two days before his wedding, he flew from England to Hollywood to have lunch with Wes Craven. Yes, that's true. Oh,
0: interesting. I will say... It's <laughs> not this... on
1: his wedding day. He made it.
0: Right. Good. <laughs> Having been a maid of honor and seeing the stress level of my sister even two days before the wedding. I can't imagine that went
1: over well. Yeah but like think about it like he's getting married and on top of that he's trying to get a job. True. That's a pretty stressful situation. Um actually in part of this the year after so in 2006 for her 2005 work including Red Eye Rachel McAdams was nominated for the BAFTA Rising Star Award in the first year it was awarded. And this is a wild list. I wanted to throw this out. So McAdams is nominated alongside Michelle Williams, Chuatel Ejiofor, and Gael Garcia Bernal. And the four of them lose to James McAvoy. <laughs> oh, what a list. Not a bad list. <laughs> no. And then Killian Murphy was nominated the next year.
0: I feel like this movie is a good example of why casting matters. Where Rachel McAdams and Killian Murphy are both such good actors that the movie works better. Like, they are able to take the most sparse material in a script that is probably under 100 pages long and somehow make the characters still feel, you know, developed in any way.
1: Yeah, one of the things I liked, Roger Ebert wrote a really good review of this movie that also has some funny lines that I'm going to bring back at another point. But one of the things he talked about a lot in Rachel McAdams' performance was that she's in a high-stress thriller and still doesn't feel the impulse to always go for, like, the biggest emotion.
0: No, she's definitely playing it. The idea of having someone who is in a super high-stress job, she does well of seeing that her character would probably be able to maintain some level of cool and not go to such heights immediately.
1: Yeah, it's also kind of fun that this is a movie that Skips across a couple of genres. Like, it starts off with this intense crime montage, and then it becomes a, a flirty, almost romantic movie for a second. And then it's a plain thriller, and then it ends as a home invasion movie. But throughout that, it really avoids like crazy stunts or explosions. It all feels decently plausible as like this is how an ordinary person in this circumstance, if all went well, could get through
0: it. Right. A solid chunk of this movie takes place just on an airplane. So there's no guns. There's no big movements. The most violent action is when first he headbutts her in the seat and then she stabs him with a pen. And it's still very tense. You're still on the edge of your seat even though they're just stuck. Yeah. And it's all words.
1: It is worth noting the other big action sequence on the plane is in the bathroom when they have the fight in there. And the first time they shot that scene, Killian Murphy missed where he was supposed to throw Rachel McAdams, and she actually hit her head and was knocked out for 30 minutes? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, so if you pay attention in the scene that's in the movie, you can see him, like, with his hand between her head and the wall, like, very clearly because he was so freaked out.
0: Yeah, I can imagine that would throw
1: you off your game for any future fight choreography. (laughs) Right? Maybe that's why by the end of, like, the Batman movies, he's just sitting in a desk. (laughs) He just sprays people from a distance. Uh, I will say the thing that bothered me the most about this movie is that it's called Red Eye, but they're flying from Texas to Florida, which I don't think that's a Red Eye flight. Um, it clearly takes all night, Tim. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. Granted, it's the shortest night ever. Is it
0: scheduled as a Red Eye, or is it just become a Red Eye because of all the delays?
1: Uh, she calls it a Red Eye when she's talking to her dad, so. Okay. I yeah. I was thinking that too, but when I watched it again, she does call it a Red Eye.
0: Imagine if this just happened at, like, noon. <laughs> it would still work. Yeah, (laughs) but what would you
1: even call the movie? High Noon? (laughs) I think that one's taken. (laughs) Maybe. Higher Noon. So this movie is Red Eye. It's directed by Wes Craven, who has directed a number of classic horror, thriller-y kind of things. The Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first three or four Scream movies so he's got experience doing this kind of thing and I think that shows in the way that he uses geography really effectively we have the house at the end which we've been walked through multiple times so we have a sense of like what different rooms there are and how the construction site is affecting it and the plane which works great we've talked about this with trains before as a contained environment a commercial plane is fun too because there are all these other people that they have to negotiate around so there's all this tension of how much people can notice it's very much a post 9-11 movie in terms of like the airplane security of it all the fact that it's a Homeland Security agent who is being pursued by Killian Murphy and his terrorist goons.
0: This is an extraordinarily large plane for a Dallas to Miami flight.
1: It looks like an international plane.
0: It is a 232 plane. It is a two aisled plane for a what I can only imagine being
1: four hour flight max. I think it's less than that. I think it's around three. Not a red eye. No, again, this is a pretty (laughs) short flight. Um, flight time.
0: (laughs) The flight time from Dallas, Fort Worth to Miami is two hours and 41 minutes.
1: Yeah, I've done Tampa to Austin, which is kind of similar, and it's under three hours. So if you were to consider it a red eye, it would have to, I guess, fly from midnight to 3 a.m. But when they land, the sun is up, which means the plane instead takes off at like two. Like, let's say it's like two to five. Oh, God. And there's so many
0: people in that airport for two in the morning. Well, all these flights are delayed. This movie does a good job capturing the hell that is an airport in a storm.
1: And it is the kind of thing where like the movie has its job. Like it needs to get people on the plane and create this scenario. And it does it. I think well enough that you don't spend too much time thinking about how insane the plot is. This is the thing that I liked from the Ebert review. Like I said, very positive review. And he says, what makes this goal worthy of a thriller is that the terrorist plan is of course nine times more complicated than it needs to be and is constructed entirely out of things that could go wrong. (laughs) I don't understand their plan at all. So the terrorist plan is for Killian Murphy to sit on a plane next to Rachel McAdams. They have a car parked outside Rachel McAdams' dad's house so that they can threaten him. They will have Rachel McAdams change the room assignment of the Homeland Security Secretary or Deputy Secretary, whatever his job is, so that they can then fire a rocket launcher into his room, and they're going to use the threat of violence on her dad to motivate her to do it.
0: And all of this happens in an 85-minute movie that has
1: eight minutes of credits. Yeah! Longer if you're watching on ABC. (laughs) What if they padded out the runtime on ABC just by adding more credits? (laughs) Like they name all the background actors. So one thing I also found very odd about this movie
0: is how many random themes they also tried to sprinkle in. Like there was just a random girl power element that felt so forced With the little girl or with um... both with him being like, we're going to approach this with like male driven rationality instead of your female driven emotionality. And, I'm like, this is actually a binary we discussed in my gender class very frequently of the valuing of masculinity in society through rationality. And I was just like, so Wes Craven's taken a gender 101 class. That's the vibe I'm getting from this random line that's sprinkled in, but does come
1: back at the end. Yeah, when she hangs out with Cynthia, the other hotel worker. Who is that actress? So I'm not sure her name. I'm looking it up. I recognized her as Trixie from The League, the FXX series. She was engaged to Paul Shear's character, but they broke up because she was allergic to his semen. Ah, uh, yes. I remember that plot line now. She's played by Jama Mays. Oh, is sh-
0: she's from Glee, isn't she? She was on Glee. Yeah, I think that's where I know her from, unfortunately. Are you sure
1: you don't know her from the Smurfs? <laughs> The
0: one with um, Neil Patrick Harris.
1: Yes, and of the Smurfs too,
0: Or uh, Paul
1: Blart Mall Cop, another movie she was in. (laughs) These are all movies with more romance than Red Eye. Yep. Oh my Um, god, this movie. so, So Red Eye opened on August 19th, 2005 in second place with $16 million. It opened up against... The opening weekend of a real major hit of that summer, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which was a massive surprise hit that is basically responsible for The Office continuing to stay on the air. I
0: tried to watch that with my parents one time, and I made the choice to leave the room because my dad did not remember what it was like. I was like in ninth grade or 10th grade or whatever, and he put it on, and I just like 10 minutes in, I was like, I'm going to go to my bedroom.
1: Goodbye! I haven't seen it, but it checks out. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. <laughs> Ultimately, the movie made $57 million against its $26 million budget, $96 million worldwide, so it's a nice, tidy little profit. And, crucially, it won the Teen Choice Award for Choice Thriller, because the Teen Choice Awards have too many categories.
0: <laughs> Frickin' Teen Choice Awards. I also love that everything is considered choice.
1: Rachel McAdams was nominated for Choice Scream, and Killian Murphy was nominated for Choice Villain.
0: I like how she's only a year off of playing a high schooler in this movie.
1: Yeah, because she was too old to play a high schooler. She was so <laughs> old to be playing Regina George,
0: but somehow I never questioned it.
1: Right, she's just playing like full-on adults. She's in Wedding Crashers this year. Yeah. A year after Mean Girls, And she
0: was in The Notebook at the same time, but she, yeah. I guess that's younger. I think she's supposed to be like,
1: she's like a college student in The Notebook.
0: Yeah. Because that's where she meets James Marston. Another one of those men that they don't make shitty enough for you to root against in a rom-com i mean let's be clear his workers were definitely sharecroppers (laughs) i remember nothing about this movie the man
1: was a cotton magnate
0: oh right (laughs) i forgot about that part uh but speaking of men that are too likable that is not killian murphy in this movie
1: he's just got scary eyes that's the thing about killian murphy his eyes are so pale that it's kind of unsettling. So then even at the beginning when he's like kind of charming, and I didn't really necessarily know where the movie was going. I was like, I'm just thinking of ways that something sinister is going on because his eyes are so unsettling.
0: He just has a very unsettling vibe. And it's kind of unfortunate because I'm sure he's a decent person in real life, but he's never going to get cast as a nice person in television or film.
1: He's all right in Inception. He's the rich kid who wants to break from his dad. Yeah. He's like where the final sequences all take place in his mind. He's good in Dunkirk.
0: Guys, remember how his name is Jack the Ripper in the movie? That wasn't subtle at all. his name
1: is Jackson Ripner.
0: (laughs) Oh, of course. I mean, the way he was like extremely creepily manhandling the guy while trying to be polite at the beginning in line alone was enough to tip you off that something's off about this guy. Oh,
1: for sure. Should we start talking about this alleged romance, Andres? I I guess? So, every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points so we can walk through it. Tim, as our guest, you're in charge of doing that. I have no idea what you're going to do. Because, again, this movie is not a romance. It has maybe one scene that kind of works. Hey, everybody. This is Will from the future dropping in to say that, unfortunately, Tim had some technical difficulties with his recording software. So we're missing a chunk of his audio right here but we have assembled it to be as coherent as possible and he'll be back in later on in the episode thanks for being with us
0: so are you on this very delayed flight to Miami mm-hmm. yeah you sadly yes mm-hmm. airport bar should always be open It's the only
1: place where I have probably started drinking at like 6 a.m. Okay, here's my thing about the coffee spilling. So the coffee spills and the woman's like, oh, don't worry, it's iced, which like I kind of get because she's like, you're not going to burn to death. But she's got all this stuff on her jacket. Rachel McAdams then goes into the bathroom to take off the jacket. She takes off her jacket and is just wearing a bra underneath. So she wasn't wearing a shirt. I mean, the things you do to get through security at airports faster, (laughs) Well, Oh, true. But then when they make you take off your jacket... At security, then you're just wearing your underwear.
0: Yeah, you can just speed right through. They know you're not hiding anything. (laughs) I was just very confused watching that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) I also just have no questions about anything related to fashion in this era, because
1: nothing makes sense in what people were wearing in 2005. Yeah, but here's the thing is right after this, we're going to record next week's episode, and some of the fashion is substantially worse. Yes, There is definite progress in this moment. I think I know
0: what you're talking about. I'm excited to discuss them. But even still, in 2005, the things people chose to wear were questionable. Um, I don't know. The high
1: age of me wearing oversized t-shirts and cargo shorts all the time seemed pretty great. (laughs) Well, that's still happening. Uh, no, my shirts fit now. (laughs) They're the same shirts. (laughs) And you know what? I think by the end of this summer, that uh, middle school soccer t-shirt is really finally going to be able to join the rotation. So, anyway. Point two? <laughs> point two?
0: Solid six minutes into the film at this point. <laughs> to be fair, on <laughs> Death
1: Becomes Her, one of your points was a smash cut, Mark.
0: It's true. It was a great smash cut.
1: Oh, the name's Jackson, by the way. Please. Pleased to meet you.
0: Is it Jack for short?
1: No. No, I haven't gone by Jack since I was 10 years old. My well, name's Ripner.
0: Jack Riffner. Jack... the... oh, there we go. Okay. That was very nice of
1: your parents. No, no, that's what I told him before I killed him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is what I wanted to know. Is it cool or is it annoyingly controlling, even before we get into the stalking bit?
0: I am in the camp that it is annoyingly controlling anytime someone tries to order for another person. And I was watching it and I was just like,
1: oh, this is going on for so long too. Right, there's some degree of like, I know what's best for you. It's like a little bit cool if you get it right, but I think the idea behind it
0: is obnoxious. It's a little bit cool if you get it right and you're just like, I'm going to say you're going to get a Bay Breeze. But not like, based off of our interaction, I think that you're the type of person that likes something sweet. But also, you have a flip. I'm just like, oh my god, shut up. Mark, they gotta pat out this runtime for ABC. (laughs) That is like one of the only moments that I feel like was actually padded. Like, everything else is so economical in this
1: movie, but that scene just really dragged. I think the purpose of that being long is that in the moment it gets us into this like, wow, this dude is like just coming up with stuff on the fly. And that later when we find out he stalked her for weeks to find out her standard drink order, among other things, then we're like, oh, shoot. So all of that was just a front.
0: I do like that she refused to order what he suggested, even though it is what she wanted in the moment.
1: Yes, but honestly, come on, parents. You named your kid Jackson Ripner. But also, i mean. assuming that's his Super not villain his origin. origin. Like if, if his name is Henry, is he not a bad guy?
0: I'm guessing that's not his real name, because what kind of terrorist would just use his real name?
1: A very confident terrorist who also announces that he's in the business of assassination and government overthrow. They are certainly, like, Bush-era neocon in the sense of, like, we're not going to negotiate. We're going to do whatever we want, and then you can negotiate with us based on that. So, like, it's not a good way to go about diplomacy.
0: No, he does not seem to be a great politician. I really didn't get why he was targeted.
1: And and a significant enough target that they're, like, we're going to take out his family, too.
0: Also, what language were the terrorists speaking do we Russian. know? Russian.
1: Yeah. God. So, so we've got this elaborate plot... <laughs> As Ebert put it, built only of things that could go wrong. And at this point, finally, they call out for the plane. So she goes to like go get on her plane and she gets on the plane and she gets down to her seat when she discovers that she's in one of those two seater rows and guess who's in the other seat? And at first he's like continuing to be like kind of friendly and like chatting about her life and what she does. And finally she's like, why do you keep asking about me? And he says, "See, so you don't ask about me. And she's like, what do you do? And he says, I'm in government overthrows and assassinations. And as fate would happen, my business is all about you.
0: It's so weird.
1: <laughs> and let's be clear, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> this is like <laughs> it's an very incredibly fun. effective thriller, but a totally nonsense plan.
0: Agreed. Oh, I did mark down the moment that The turn happens where he starts directly threatening her dad is 25 minutes in.
1: Good. I mean, a third of the way into the movie, basically. Yes. But
0: to put that in context, we have 60 minutes. Oh, excuse me. 52 minutes left. (laughs) Yeah. So about a third of the way into the movie. Yeah. They really power through the action. And I- Which is great. Cared for. I
1: was a big fan. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. When you're flying Fresh Air Airlines- You're going to get where you need to go as quickly as possible, but only if it takes all night for the sake of the story. Right. (laughs) Fresh air. Why didn't they just have a longer flight? Yeah, they easily could have just made it from California. And I don't know. I mean, it didn't occur to me to think about it until we were recording this episode. So I guess it worked.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I guess, but it's still just so interesting that they chose Dallas. Unless the Dallas airport paid them to film there or something, there's no reason they wouldn't just pick a place that's further away that would justify a red eye. I don't know. So at this
1: point, we are no longer dealing with romance. Am I correct? Like right. he is explicitly threatening her, threatening to kill her dad. I mean, when they sit down and when the plane's taking off, there's still this kind of charade of, oh, he's trying to help her through her fear of flying. And he's he's still being courteous and kind of chivalrous with putting her bag in the, the overhead compartment. And then they get to talking about his job. And he, he says that his business is all about you. And then it yeah, that that's no longer romantic. So what are we do Tim? So <laughs> yeah, so so what's next? What's the plan here? <laughs> so I do really like when you were talking about the emotional response from Rachel McAdams here. She has this kind of understandable response when her dad gets threatened and then uh she kind of asserts herself when when she wants to call her dad and then she gets headbutted. So, yes, the first headbutt. Right. When <laughs> she gets slammed into the side of the plane and knocked out. Which happens very quickly, but I'm still surprised that nobody on the flight noticed that happen. I think most of them were asleep. Perhaps. That's why it's important it was a red eye. Because it's a red eye. And I think the headbutt is specifically because she tried writing notes in the Dr. Phil book that she gave to the other lady. And so she needs to be kind of on the side and out of commission for a while so he can get the book back. Yeah, I
0: fully expected that old woman to die. I thought so too. <laughs> I was very surprised that she lived Mark, through Mark, did the you film. want her to die for being annoying? Is that what's going on here? <laughs> no, I did find her annoying, but I was fully expecting that to be the villain establishing moment to show the lengths he's willing to go
1: sure but i think one of the clever things is how limited the violence is on the plane even though like she gets headbutted and thrown around at the bathroom all of which is bad like it never turns into like a full bore action sequence on the plane which makes sense
0: yeah they squeeze all the violence into the home invasion part
1: and the the escape part which is which is uh when she stabs him in the throat with a pen With a little like monster pen. So that was originally in the script, it was a Bart Simpson pen, but Fox wouldn't give them the rights for Bart Simpson. So instead they just had this little monster pen made. And if you went to one of the advanced screenings of Red Eye, they gave you one of those monster pens, which I think is a little weird to be (laughs) handing out like, here's the murder weapon, the attempted murder weapon from our movie. Go home with it. And it's not even like When you're watching a movie and, like, someone uses a cool-looking knife, and they're like, here's a plastic version of this cool-looking knife. It's like, no, this is just the pen. (laughs) Go stab someone in the trachea.
0: Yeah, very much attempted murder, because this man does not die. It's insane how much he lives through. He takes a he gets stabbed in the throat with a pen. He gets stabbed in the leg with a high heel. He gets hit over the head with a very heavy looking field hockey stick and
1: shot twice and is still alive. I mean, that is fitting with the other Wes Craven stuff when you're thinking about like Nightmare on Elm Street and that kind of thing. The difference is that in this is just some guy. <laughs> yeah, in this it's just a man. <laughs> So are we at point five? We're get, uh, so point four, we we kind of skipped over, but it was in the lavatory. So it, that's what we we're t- we touched on that, and it's one of the more intense scenes. And it counts as romance because the flight attendants think they're yeah, having sex because of all the mile high jokes that they make, and uh, the little girl who says that there was a woman in there and that a man went in there with her. So so that's point four. And yeah, I was thinking about that. You brought it up, Will, when uh, McAdams accidentally got knocked out, and you can see uh, Killian's hand bracing her in the actual theatrical cut. And then uh, point five is when, to keep it romantic, he meets her dad. <laughs> <When> they- <laughs> so so she takes him home. tries to murder her dad. <laughs> <laughs> they meet. So on the plane, right when they're landing and they do all the, the clapping when the plane lands, she uh, kind of lets us into what had happened where she gets the, the scar um, and she kind of says that it would never happen again. Before she goes on a little theft spree and she steals the pen to st- stab him in the throat, and later steals a car. Yeah, it's heavily implied that she was raped at knife point. Yeah, that's th- that's the implication. And then uh, she steals a car to to hit the uh, guy in the beamer. I don't think they ever name him. And we get Rebecca, the little girl. I shoving- think he's credited as man at house. Oh, good. Yeah, there were a few that were just like blonde woman in the credits. Oh, excuse me, blonde woman is the fourth build character. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> over like charles Keefe, right <laughs> people who have names and so they get to the house and there's this little game of a uh, tag cat and mouse style at the house as she's like going through and gets outside the house and climbs in the two roof. people running around trying to stab each other is not a game of tag <laughs> it's just more violent when you get tagged
0: you you draw blood for A podcast built very solidly on shoehorning. This is my favorite instance of shoehorning in a romance that I've ever
1: experienced. Yeah. (laughs) He meets her dad. Yep. And then knocks him unconscious, uh, gets shot by him. So it's not a very successful meeting as far as romance is concerned. Um, And then he's killed. (laughs) Yep. After many attempts at his life. So uh, after watching the movie red eye do we find the romance believable slash is there any romance to discuss (laughs) um nothing about this movie is believable this plan makes no sense at all i like the part where they put their rocket launcher in a crate full of fish and then dump it in the ocean to avoid the coast guard finding it right (laughs) they get caught where they are and then oh wait it's okay because this watertight container is at the bottom of the ocean and outside off the coast of Miami. That's the one part where I'm like, okay, so they understood that having the room change would trigger this search and so that they would be noticed. And so they planned for it. So that way, like the boat's already out there. The Coast Guard or Secret Service doesn't freak out being like, hey, why is this boat coming into the zone? It had already been there. Like that's the part of the plan that seems best thought out, which is arguably the most important part because that's how they get the rocket launcher. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that
0: actually is a pretty clever scheme. It's just, I feel like there's got to be easier ways to kill somebody than rocket launching a hotel room.
1: So Jack stole Brian Cox's wallet only to prove to Rachel McAdams that he could get to her dad, right? Uh-huh. Because when the wallet got stolen during the opening montage, I was like, oh, this is going to be like part of it. Like her dad is important in some way. But he's but not. She's the one who's important. She is. So to answer your question Will, no. <laughs> it's not a believable Romance. It kind of has that feeling of a rom-com or a romantic movie at the beginning, and then no. A lot of it also hangs on his ability to get a seat next to her. That's true, too. Like, the movie doesn't work if that doesn't happen. I assume they have a computer guy on their squad. Perhaps. Oh, so he could enhance. <laughs> yeah, Enhance. <laughs> So every week we rate the believability of a movie's romance on a 10 point scale where zero means we believe none of it and 10 means we believe all of it. So Tim, where would you put the romance, the alleged romance of Red Eye? So I was thinking initially zero, but based solely on the fact that you could get to know somebody you're sitting next to on a plane, i give it a half. <laughs> like 0. 0.5.
0: Yes, 0. 0.5. <laughs> what about you, Mark? I think I'll go with our guest and agree that... sounds about right.
1: (laughs) I think I'm going a little higher. I think I'm going to give it a one because I think there is some flirty substance there in that first segment. You know what? No, I'm talking myself up to a two because in those first couple of sequences, I think there is some plausibility. Now, all of his information about her is based on weeks and weeks of stalking, which isn't unbelievable. I I'm going to go two. Okay, I might go up to a one. All right. I'm I'm sticking out of half. Tim, do you think that Lisa or Jackson is dateable? I think Lisa could be dateable. I'm a big fan of Rachel McAdams. I think, though, what would make that difficult is how important her job is. But I think after this, perhaps, she kind of realizes the important things in life. And you see her change a little bit from uh, such a people pleaser and so dedicated to her job at the end. And Cynthia is also on the list, too. I like Cynthia a lot. Well, we will get to that uh jackson yeah, say lisa obviously not yes, jackson no. <laughs> well he's dead we've laid
0: out a pretty clear case against him what with our whole anti-murder position as well
1: yes we are strongly anti-murder
0: all right i think we got the answer to this question but tim if you did have to pick a person in this movie to date who would you choose
1: uh i would go with lisa not blonde woman <laughs> i don't i don't think blonde woman uh really makes the cut for me i'd say lisa she was kind of annoying honestly I, I i think i'd go on a date with cynthia i think lisa's might be uh might be the top choice though blonde woman was the lady on the plane who kept asking jack to help with her bachelor. Oh, okay ew. That's, that makes sense that's blonde woman oh no yeah she's annoying
0: uh i think i'm with tim i think the move is also lisa she's
1: clearly the yes. best choice
0: <laughs> there's not a lot of other characters to choose and cynthia
1: seems like a bit of a mess so yeah lisa. she she's struggling too Uh, Lisa and Jackson would not stay together. They never were together. And also he's dead. So the question, Tim, is many of the movies we've covered on this podcast have been turned into stage musicals. Should the film Red Eye be made into a musical? No.
0: Hot take, absolutely.
1: Oh. Really?
0: (laughs) Imagine this set to music on stage.
1: I think it could only be worse. I think, like, the small runtime and sort of contained atmosphere of it or what make it work i think that we need to experiment with scary
0: musicals and so i like be, that i like it that idea too inter- i don't think this it is the one to experiment an with start i would rather do like halloween the musical this would just be a very unambitious start because it's all on one plane slash a hotel
1: there's but two i think sets. part of i think part of what makes it work Three. you certainly wouldn't want to do it on a big stage You'd, this would be like in yep. some theater lab because part of what I'm makes the movie work of... is how contained it is and how small the space is yeah, so are.
0: not a not a broadway play honestly site-specific musical on a plane
1: on a plane <laughs> <laughs> i'd watch so that. mark i want you to imagine this you get on a plane and you discover that it is debuting the oh, red eye musical <laughs> and you are part of the surprise test audience <laughs>
0: Um, I would ground the plane. <laughs> that sounds like hell. Every time some video shows up of, like, someone singing on a plane or an acapella group performing on a plane, I want to jump out a window of right, whatever like, room I'm in. How dare you?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> People should be allowed to choose the art they consume. It should never be forced onto you. <laughs>
1: Anyway, I think that about does it for Red Eye. All right. Uh, next week, we are going to be jumping back in time a couple of years to do one of the iconic high school romances. We're talking about 10 things I hate about you.
0: I'd never seen it before watching it for this, but it was very fun, and I'm excited to talk about it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of charming.
0: Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love the Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at LoveTheLovePod at gmail.com.
1: And we probably won't make fun of you repeatedly on the episode for them. Again, Andres, we liked this movie. Yes. Uh, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Reviews on Apple Podcasts in particular really help other people to find the show.
0: Last question, Tim. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie?
1: Uh, I think it goes a long way to get to know your significant other's family. Uh, you know, get to meet them. <laughs> that was the end of their relationship. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> but, I mean, it, I, I think I, I think the, the home visit could uh, be a make or break for a lot of relationships.
0: I think you cracked something there. The bachelor seems to follow this advice
1: as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, the key dating advice is always look out for someone's needs. Like after he headbutts her into the wall, he then asks the yeah, stewardess he to bring some water. <laughs> and she, he got her aspirin too. He a little yeah. Of aspirin. Very kind. So he's anticipating needs.
0: I guess the best piece of actual advice from this is... Try flirting in an airport. You got but nothing again, else to do. I hate that advice and would never want to be flirted with at an airport. They are hell holes. I thrive there, but only in the sense that I am angry, stressed, and hate everyone there.
1: I mean, if it goes poorly, though, you probably will never see that person again. So. Ooh, good point. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye! Bye.